Hello, friends, and welcome to Everyday Truth with Kurt Skelly. We're here to show that the Bible is relevant to your life every single day. We're so glad you joined us here for the conversation as we go verse by verse through the book of Jeremiah. Our series, The Hard Truth, is looking at this Old Testament prophet's messages of sorrow, judgment, and hope. Now, let's join Kurt for today's episode. Welcome back, my friends. Appreciate you uh, being back yet again for uh, another uh, episode in Everyday Truth. Uh, we are in a message that Jeremiah, matter of fact, his first message that Jeremiah ever preached, or at least that was recorded for us that he preached. And what a powerful, powerful message it is. We have spent a couple episodes already talking about it. And today we're going to jump back into verse number nine. As the Lord, really, is pleading with his people, I love you. I remember how it was. What have I done wrong? You all have forgotten about me. You forgot I'm the one that brought you here. I'm the one that did all these good things for you. And everything I've given you, you've you've used it for yourself. You've made it an abomination. And here's why. Your leaders, they're a mess. Your priests don't know me. Your teachers of the law don't really know me and my 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 the, the essence of my law. Your civil leaders and even your prophets. I mean, no wonder people are so lost and seeking such empty things. Now watch what God says. Verse number nine. Wherefore, I will yet plead with you. And the point here is not that God says, Okay, but I'm still begging that you'll come back. That's not what this verse means. What this verse means is, I will continue to make my case. To plead is is a legal term. I will continue to make my case. I love you too much to give up on showing you your sin, your wrongdoing, to make my prosecutorial case to say, you're guilty. And you need to admit that. And you need to come back in repentance to me. So in verse number nine, wherefore I will yet plead with you, saith the Lord, and with your children's children will I plead. Now I have made a covenant promise through Abraham and through David, and I'm gonna keep my end of the bargain. But that doesn't mean that you just have a free ride. And yes, I will bring a son from the th- uh, on the throne of David. And yes, I will bless all nations because of Abraham. But you as an individual generation and your children, you must bear the consequence of your lack of service to me, your lack of relationship with me. So I'm going to make my case to you, to your children, to your children's children, uh, because your disobedience has a generational effect. You show me the sin of a dad, I will show you the influence in a son and then ultimately in a grandson and great-grandson. That's why the Bible so often talks about the influence of a person to the third and fourth generation. Because typically in a lifetime, you live long enough to see your grandkids. I've got six of them at current, at at this current recording. And... uh, uh, Lord willing, one day I'll have great-grandchildren. But the point is, what a responsibility. And God says, I am pleading. Look at verse number 10. 
for pass over the isles of Chittim and see. Send unto Kedar, consider diligently. These are places, basically God saying, look east, look west. I mean, look all around you. Look in whatever direction you want to know. And here's what I want to say. Look at verse number uh, 10. Pass over the isles of Chittim, see, send unto Kedar, consider diligently, and see if there be such a thing. Go, go to other countries. Go, go that direction, go to, go to other countries. Go to the islands, go, go west, go east, go to these other nations, and, and, and do a little study, says God. And here's what I want you to determine. Look at verse number 11. Hath a nation changed their gods? which are no gods. They're not even real gods. But has a nation changed their gods? Go over there to Babylon. Are they inventing new religions? Go, go to Persia. Go to Assyria. Go, go to uh, all these surrounding nations. And, and look, are they not faithful to their small g gods? They're not changing their gods. They might worship many of them, but they're the same many that they worshiped last generation and the generation before. The, the point that God is making is the these nations that are serving false gods are more faithful to their false idols and gods than you are to the one and only true God. How sad. And I think, wow, could we not make that application today? That I look at a, a world, a secular humanistic society, that in many cases, they are more dedicated to their causes. They're more dedicated to their philosophy. They're more dedicated to their agenda than many times we are to the Great Commission. We are to the Bible. We are to fidelity to our own God. I mean, how sad that there's more solidarity that the world shows to its idols than we show to our God. People are more faithful to their sports team, more faithful to their computer game, more faithful to their uh, LGBTQ uh, cause. I don't think I made those initials right, but you know what I'm talking about. Then we are to what we know to be true. And that's, what, that's the point God's making here. Look, look at verse number uh, 11 again. Hath a nation changed their gods, which are yet no gods, but my people have changed their glory for that which doth not profit. Their glory. What is our glory as a people? What was their glory as a people? That for which uh, they should have shined. God. God was their glory. But they, they traded that in. They, they, they weren't even representing God. They weren't even reflecting his glory to others. That was their purpose. Their purpose was to manifest God's glory to a world that needed to see him through them, but they changed it. I think about that verse in Romans chapter one, where the Bible says they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, which is blessed forever. Amen. Same thing. They know better. And yet they're following things that just won't make a hill of beans difference in 30, 40, 50 years. They're changing their glory for that which does not, does not profit. Verse number 12, how does God deal with this? What, what, what response should there be to a people that are 
not following the true God. They're, they're disposing of their relationship with their true God. What, what do you make of this? Well, watch what uh, God says here in verse number 12. Be astonished, O ye heavens, at this. Be horribly afraid. Be ye very desolate, saith the Lord. So you know what God does? God calls the whole universe into witness in this courtroom. He's pleading. He's making his case. And he says to all of the universe, universe, be astounded by this. Sun, moon, stars, planets, solar systems, galaxies, billions upon billions of created entities. They're they're all doing what God says. Uh, They're all obeying God. They're all in their place. And yet here are these human beings, the apex of God's creation, that are disregarding God. They're throwing him out. They're trading the glory they have in him for nothing, for emptiness. And God says to the entire universe, be shocked by this. Who would look at their creator? Who would look at their redeemer? Who would look at their everything and say, you're nothing to me? That is astonishing. What else is astonishing is the the metaphor that God uses in verse number 13, where he says, for my people have committed two evils. This is very interesting. My people have committed two evils. What are they? Well, number one, they have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. So when you see that term living water in the Bible, that just means moving water. So uh, unlike a stagnant pond or like uh, a a bucket that collects rain or like a cistern, which would be just like a dugout hole in the rock where you'd save rainwater. No, living water would be like a river or like a fountain bubbling up or like a, uh, yeah, living water, fresh water. So they have forsaken me as the source of fresh water, like a bubbling up well. They've forsaken me, the Bible says, the fountain of living water, and they've hewed them out cisterns. So instead of taking a living, bubbling water that comes out, that's always there, a source of fresh, pure water, that's what I am. They've chosen rather to take their time and their energy to dig out in the rock this huge cavernous cistern to hold water and when the, when the way down the rain to fill it up. And then watch what happens. Verse number 13 They've hewed them out cisterns, but they're broken cisterns. So it's been my experience to go to Israel, and I've walked in these huge cisterns, these water systems. I've been to the water system at Beersheba. I've been to the water system at uh, at uh, Megiddo. Uh, I've been to the water cistern, cistern at uh, Hatsur and these sites in Israel, huge water systems that hold this water. But the problem is if there's a crack in the, wa- in the rock, a fissure in the rock— that you didn't detect, you can have all that water and it'll all leak out. That's what the Bible says here. They've hewn out cisterns, but they're broken cisterns. No sooner do they have water and the water itself is not even good. It's stagnant water and the water leaks out. God says, you see the two evils? Evil number one, you have forsaken me. Evil number two, you have replaced me with something far inferior. And that's really the nature of sin, isn't it? The nature of sin is omission and commission or commission. 
So sin, we typically think of sin as the bad things we do, like stealing or killing or adultery or or violence. or We think about the things that we do. Those are sins, and certainly they are. But the much more insidious sin is what that sin takes me from. So it's like I'm not serving God. I'm not following God. I'm not loving God. I'm not communicating with God. I'm not, see, it's the sin of omission. You have forsaken me. And in the vacuum that's been created by not seeking me, by not drinking the waters, of the living waters, like Jesus talked about there with the woman at the well, but by forsaking me, you've made your life so much more miserable because you're chasing all those things that can never satisfy. You're chasing all those things that that ultimately will never provide uh, your hope and your need. It will never be good enough. It's two sins. It's the sin of omission. You have exempted me from your life. And it's the sin of commission. And you're chasing all of these cheap and insufficient alternatives. What a sad, sad state of affairs. So we're going to end right there in verse number 13. We're still not done with the message, but bear with me. This is a good message that Jeremiah is preaching for the first message and that God's giving him. We have a couple more uh, parts of it I want to cover, but uh, we're out of time for today. So we'll stop right there in verse 13. Come back to verse 14 next time. Hope you'll join us. God bless you, my friends. Thanks for taking time to listen. If you enjoy Everyday Truth, Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast or share it with a friend. Until next time, God bless.